Hey guys, it is the Matt and Katie show. Hello. It's actually real with Matt and Katie and that stands for, well, it's R-E-A-L with periods in between and that stands for real estate and life. So basically our show is just a little bit about real estate, a little bit about life, a little bit about us, our lives and uh, whatever conversations spur from that. Please do us a favor and like, comment, share, give us some feedback, follow us on whatever platform it is that you are listening to this on. That will really help us out. And then if there is something that you really want to hear in the future that we haven't touched on yet, definitely let us know. Shoot us a comment, a DM, whatever it is. And we, uh, because we like that. We like hearing from our audience. We do. We really love it when you engage and you give us feedback, even if you pick on us, you know, we'll take that. He doesn't mind that. Yeah, you're so, more sensitive to that. I might be. Yeah. Anyway. I like it. So today, what we wanted to talk about is basically how to properly price your property. And we're talking Arizona, right? We should probably throw that disclaimer out there right now. Yeah, Arizona. Because that's where we work and that's where we price property. So that's what we're talking about today. Yeah, and that's where we're kind of licensed, you know. Kind of. Yeah. I think I'm more than kind of licensed. I'm licensed twice. You're only licensed once. So take that. Always a one-upper. <laughs> so, okay. So how to properly price your Arizona property. Say that three times fast. Um, and then three things you shouldn't do. Yes. So let's talk about, first off, if you wouldn't mind, take me through kind of your steps when you're pricing property. So if those of you, those of you who are listening don't know, Matt is a flipper. Flipper Matt over here. Hi. Hi, Flipper Matt. Hi. Um, and so you're pricing property a lot. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, pricing it from a kind of a unique stance because I'm, I'm trying to figure out what the value is before we do any type of improvements and then try to figure out what those um, improvements are going to yield us as far as a value increase. Um, and, and and as we, we know, and as I've done this a lot, it's Sometimes these improvements really don't give you a monetary value. They give you more of a marketing value, which is very, very difficult to kind of gauge. It's hard for people to understand that too. If you're not in the real estate business, you don't do this day in and day out. It's really hard for you to turn around, sink $10,000 worth of whatever into your house and then expect to not get $10,000 back. Yeah. And you know, and, it's a misconception because I think back in the, when the market was, you know, we'll say recovering 2010 ish, people were starting to put money into their home. Uh, materials, labor was really cheap because there was no one really looking for it. Um, you used to be able to say, yeah, if I put $10,000 into my house, I could get 15 to $20,000 of value out of that 10,000. Well, it's, it's, it's not like that anymore. Um, you're, you're, it's, you're pretty lucky to get your money back, maybe 10% on that money. But the biggest thing is going to be the marketability of the home, how fast it sells, how much exposure it has, um, all of those things. Right, because you could do, so this is a funny thing that people don't understand. You could put the same amount of money, like say you're doing granite countertops or yep. you know not laminate countertops, whatever, you're upgrading the countertops. And you put in something that's maybe, you know, browns and golds and the colors of yesteryear yesteryear versus spending the same amount of money and putting in like a white slab or Correct. something that has got the grays in it and the schemes and the things that people are that are popping right now that people are, are whipping out their wallets for so you could literally spend the same amount of money on, on that 
as you do on, or as somebody down the road does on the white stuff and on the stuff that's appropriately colored and, you know, within this time. And you're going to get probably less money than they are. You will get less money than they will. And, you know, and that's where it really comes down to emotions, the, the value of emotions, and that translates to marketing. Um, and that's it. And a lot of people do get frustrated because they're going to, you know, they get their house appraised after they did all this. They put all the nice gold countertops and dark brown cabinets and, and you know, stuff that had, uh, you know, yesterday's flair, which everyone has their own opinion. But at the end of the day, we're looking at what's really moving and what's really selling. And so they get a little, you know, they get a little... I'm not upset, but discouraged because they're like, hey, we put all this money into it. The appraiser says it's worth it because of these materials, but no one's buying it. No one wants to pay that price. If it's not compelling, it's not selling. <laughs> I like it. Um, so got to be compelling with your materials. Yeah. So, and then going back to looking at how I price homes, it's, it's in Arizona, we take a cost market approach and the cost market approach is ultimately the market side of things, which is looking up comparables. I'm sure you guys hear people say comps, comps. Well, comps mean comparable properties, properties that are going to have similar square footage, similar build, um, a location within two miles. These features that allow an appraiser or an individual to say, this is a like home. Let's start from there with a baseline of value. Then the, the cost approach is going to be the actual materials, um, maybe some added features that are going to either add or minus value from that market approach that you took. Correct. So I'm with you there. So let's talk about the area because that is a really big deal and can really change things depending on where you're at in the valley. So mm -hmm. what an appraiser is going to look at, and the reason why we care so much about appraisers is because they're going to kill your deal later on down the road. Um, if your person comes in, your buyer is, uh, you know, is getting a mortgage, which the, a very high percentage of buyers do. Um, if your property doesn't appraise, then you're going to be renegotiating at that point. It's probably not going to be a happy day for you. Um, so we always like to think ahead. So we try to think like an appraiser. And what an appraiser is going to do is an appraiser is going to look at the properties in your immediate neighborhood first. So sometimes I'll talk to sellers and they're like, oh, well, you know, so-and-so's house half a mile away down the street, whatever, yeah. in a different neighborhood, closed at this, same square footage, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, so that's what my price should be, right? Wrong. Well, um, because you can have, let's say, for instance, a neighborhood of starter homes right up against a Circle G or something yep. like that. And you really can't go into Circle G thinking that your starter home is going to compare to those Circle G prices. So the immediate neighborhood is going to hold the most weight. Absolutely. And you want to start the closest because that does have the most weight. They're not going to they're not going to give you more credit for a home that's further away when there's one right next to you that doesn't really give you the emotional credit you're looking for. Right. The appraiser's uh, not yeah, going to jump. They're not going to do that. And that's that kind of stems into like I think if if people took the approach that I do when I'm 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 looking for properties as far as flips go is don't try to just look for what justifies the high value of your home you know, be pessimistic, look out there and really don't fool yourself. Look at what justifies the low value of the home. Don't, don't ever discount those numbers. There's so many people that just look around and look for these homes that give them this really high number, but don't give any weight to the ones that don't. And that's where they get the big surprise. Totally agree. Um, and then also there's a couple of little nuances in there too. So when, for instance, when I, and maybe you do it this way, maybe you don't, I think we all kind of have our own ways of doing things. But when I'm pulling comps, let's just say, 
the first thing that I'm going to look is in the immediate neighborhood only, and I'm going to look 200 square feet up and 200 square feet down. Yep. So the square footage of my property is right smack there in the middle. If it's got a pool, I'm looking at pools only. If it's got a two-car garage, three-car garage, I'm looking at that only. If it's a single level, I'm looking at single levels only. And if I can grab three to five recent comparable sales within those guidelines, that's basically what I'm looking at for my comps. Yeah, that's a great way to approach it because you're, you're, you're taking an efficient route. You're looking once again right at this specific subdivision. You're seeing what's happening, what's selling, um, you know, and that's that's ultimately what your goal is because there's a big difference between what your house actually sells for and what is the price that's going to get it to sell. So a lot of people, and of course, we all come from different areas of the country and, and it's different in other areas. I mean, yeah. we come from back east. And when I got into, uh, it was the mortgage industry when I first moved to Arizona. And when I got into the mortgage industry and started talking with realtors, I had no idea that price per square foot, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but price per square foot for single level properties is typically higher than its, its two-story counterpart. Yeah. Which back east is different, I think. Yeah, and there's just a lot less single-level homes back east, too. And back east is, I don't even, I, I try to think about how I to do a comparative market analysis back there, and I lose hair. I think so. I, I, you don't have much left to lose. Oh, so you should probably oh, stop thinking about that. Pop that and zingers. Oh. <laughs> so anyway, so start in the immediate neighborhood um, with, the, with the product that is most like your product and go from there. So now we mm -hmm. have these areas like, you know, some luxury neighborhoods or some properties that are way out in the boonies that are sitting on, you know, large pieces of property that don't really have comps in their immediate neighborhood. Some of my historic properties, they don't necessarily have comps in the immediate neighborhood or in the immediate state for that matter, because they're one of a kind. So what we need to do in those instances is just kind of get a baseline and then start to adjust almost like an appraiser would adjust or really like an appraiser would adjust at that point. Yeah. Yeah. So like if my one of a kind property, uh, for instance, I have one, my one of a kind property has the biggest pool I've ever seen. It's got an outbuilding. It's uh, historic on the national registry. It's got an apartment above the two car garage. Try to find a property that actually has a garage in that neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, it's difficult. And a pool and all that. You can't. You have to get very creative, which that's what you can, you know, you're, you got have to do. An appraiser has to do. A good realtor is going to assist that appraiser in giving them the information that they need. Because appraisers have trouble too. And I mean, I can't tell you because I am... I have an expertise in these properties, these historic properties especially, and I can't tell you how many appraisers I've worked hand-in-hand hand with. It's taken them a week to get the report back because it's such a difficult appraisal, and I have played a huge role huge in that. Huge role in that. Um, you're one of the very few people, you're probably the only that I've actually heard of getting appraisers to change their mind on value because they had it come in low, and then you fought it, and you actually got them to change it, which... Oh, you're right. Yeah. Well, you know what? Sometimes, sweetheart, when I prove somebody wrong, they just can't. They just. I know. They they have nothing to say. It's just tough. <laughs> um, you don't experience that ever, do you? No, no, not on a daily basis. <laughs> no. So suffice it to say, if you don't need to go outside of the neighborhood, don't do it. However, if you do, the guidelines that an appraiser uses. Um, 
and if you talk to different ones, they might, you know, be a little bit different, but they're basically like, they don't go usually more than two miles out from the subject property. Um, and yeah. usually it's within like six months to a year back and they don't yeah. typically go further than that. Yeah. 90 days to six months. That's what they're looking at. You know, don't discount recent closes for ones that were four to five months out because they won't have the weight. Most recent closes are going to have the most weight. They're going to have the most weight. They're going to be most indicative of the current market conditions. And you have to kind of think about that a little bit, especially when you're pulling comps. This is something that runs through my head is I see, okay, this property closed a month ago. Well, that's not when it was negotiated, though. When was it negotiated? Hmm. It was probably negotiated two months ago, three yeah. months ago. What were the market conditions then, at that time? When you have a swiftly moving market, that makes a, a it could make a big difference. And I think that's that's exactly the next the next level of this is the market that you're in. And what we're talking about right now is pricing property, and and pricing property is is a delicate art because that price, you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot by pricing it too low. Right. And the worst thing is you don't want to shoot yourself in the foot from both feet when you do this and you price it too high. Um, the beautiful thing in a, in a healthy market like this, if you price your home too low, what the, the byproduct of that is multiple offers and the market will usually save you. Um, if you price your property too high, you're going to get it. You, it's going to be stale. It, it gets lost. It, it doesn't have that, that sense of urgency. Um, and, and then you're now doing the, the price drop dance, which is very apparent to any buyer, any experienced agent that sees that, um, th they're going to tell their buyer that, and they're going to hit you with some strong negotiations. There is, I have to speak to that though, a little bit, because there is something, something to be said when you're in a market that's increasing, or you've got a product that's a little bit special, a little bit of a one of a kind. Sometimes it makes sense to take your best educated guess, hit the market, blast it with marketing and see how the market reacts. And sometimes you do have to make those adjustments. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I don't think that, you know, it's doomsday. If you make a price adjustment, it's just how long are you waiting to realize uh, I'm out of the market here and I need to get back in it. Exactly. And, and, and I think Kate said, make sure you have that plan B because no matter what, you'll know if you're in that situation. So what's your plan? If all of a sudden your home goes on the market and the first week goes by and you're not getting showings and you have these indicators that it's priced too high, what are you going to do? Right. How are you going to react to that? And that's where I think it's really, really important to have that conversation with yourself and have a plan in place because it's, it's better to think of it outside of the chaos logically, because if you're now trying to make these decisions, once you're in the trenches, they're going to be emotional decisions. These emotional decisions just might not be the ones you're looking for. Let's talk about that for a minute. When it's time to sell your house, we realize that perhaps you grew your babies in there or whatever happened in there. But when it's time to sell your house, it's now a business transaction. Yeah. We've got to remove the emotions out of it. The memories do not stay within the walls. The memories stay within your heart, within your mind. They come with you. The photos come with you. The kids come with you. All of that, the pets, all of that come with you. It's time to remove the emotions of those four walls, and it now becomes a business decision. It will be a lot easier for you. It will be less stressful, less heartache, and you will probably come out on top a little bit better. Oh, absolutely. 
you know, and I think that applies to any business or any big decision that has to do with an investment. But, you know, easier said than done. We understand. But, hey, the, the biggest thing is being proactive and it just at least understanding that. So if you go into it knowing that, hey, there's going to be some big decisions that need to be made. What can I do proactively to give myself the information to make a more logical decision versus a, a, a purely emotional decision? Right. Because some people aren't going to like your stuff. And some people yeah. aren't going to like what you put in and some people aren't going to like, you know, what you built for your little kid that your little kid maybe loved. And some people aren't going to like it. Yeah. And you're going to get some feedback and it's probably, you know, going to be sometimes hurtful, but always probably honest. And, yeah. and, and it's things to look at. And so you start getting, you know, three people say one thing, five people say one thing. It's time to start looking at that one thing. Yeah. And not take defense to it. Really right. listen to it with open ears. And, and that's the biggest and most important thing. Totally agree. Be open to any and all feedback because really what the goal is, is the goal is to sell that property for as much as you can in the least amount of time. So don't get in your own way. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So what not to do? So so I've got three things um, that I always tell my clients not to do or <laughs> I suggest they don't do. Um, and I'm sure there's more, but here are the three things that I have for today. Don't price buy Zillow. No, definitely don't price by Zillow. And you can see it even when you look at Zillow, how different the prices are. Sometimes. So yeah. Zillow is a very interesting thing. It's a it's basically a large funnel. And what I mean by that is, is it's a marketing funnel. So Zillow pays uh, or excuse me, realtors pay Zillow advertisement fees and they actually pay they purchase your information. So when you sign up to, hey, I want to see this house or, hey, this house looks cool or I'm saving this house or, you know, please contact me about this house. Your information is then being sold to some agent um, by Zillow. So the information that this huge funnel has on it, since it can be manually manipulated, isn't always the most accurate. And in fact, it's often not the most accurate. And so what Zillow does is it's a computer program, right? And so it just kind of has this formula and no, it calculates no. and whatever. And it could be using uh, misinformation, which more than often it, you know, more often than not, it is using misinformation. Um, it could be skipping information that's important, like private sales. When you're pulling comps, you got to see private sales too and kind of just see what's going on in, in the neighborhood as a whole. And it could be missing that too. Well, that and, you know, I mean, Zillow doesn't know the function and flow of a home. It's just like Kate and I, if, some, if, if anyone was to call us and say, hey, will you give us um, what you think your opinion on value of our home is? We could tell you, you know what, we got a baseline, but we need to see the home. We need to come and see the home before we can give you an accurate number. And Zillow doesn't do that. They don't account for flow. They don't account for these features that could either really give you a lot of value or really hold you back. Exactly. And you, you never know what exactly a house has to offer or what is detrimental to selling unless you are in it. You're feeling it. You're seeing it. We know what to look for. It's like a contractor bidding a job without seeing the job. Yeah. Like that just doesn't work. No, it's a recipe for disaster if you sign that contract. Completely. So don't go by Zillow, guys. Um, second, what not to do. Don't go by price per square foot either because price per square foot is kind of like a gauge to sort of, well, I use it, I do, I use yeah. it as a gauge to kind of see if things are out of whack. Um, and it's really this, this old mentor of mine when I first got my license used to say that price per square foot only works when you're selling warehouse space because it's all the same, right? It's just this four walls and you're just storing stuff in there. It's just like all the same. Well, for us, you know, our house is 
is different than the house next door is different than the house next door. It could be the same model. It could be the mm -hmm. same square footage, but I guarantee you our house looks a lot different inside, has different materials, different upgrades, things like that than the guy with the same exact model across the street. Absolutely. And the thing that ends up happening too, is you have size differences. You know I mean? There's so many homes and so many communities in Arizona where the community will range from 1,200 square feet to 3,500 square feet. So, you know, a cost per square foot can't be applied when you have that large of scales because, you know, I mean, the difference in price would be a $200,000 house to a million dollar house in the same subdivision and it doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Exactly. And price per square foot, this is another thing. Like, remember, we talked about single level homes and two story homes. Um, typically, the price per square foot, if you're just looking as a gauge of a single level home is going to be more. Um, Price per square foot is typically more for a smaller home than a larger home. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So that's kind of another funny thing that, that people don't quite understand. Um, lastly, don't kid yourself. I mean, honestly, what a buyer is willing to pay for your home is what it's worth. And what I mean by that is not, oh, just because Matt comes in and says he wants to pay five bucks for my house, that's what it's worth. No. Assuming you're on the open market and assuming that all of the eyes that want to see your home have seen your home. What is that that person that wants to you know sign on the dotted line willing to pay? Because if you don't have that person or that group of people willing to pay anything for your home, you really don't have a sale to make. So the market will bear. I, the, exactly. It's it's what will the market? Bear. And we're in a very very healthy market, so we are you know it, it answers the question for you right now. There's really no guessing. Like as if you are in a flat market or in markets that are changing, like a market we experienced in 2013 and 14 where we were kind of shifting. Are we plateauing or whatnot? There's a lot of guessing. Right now, we are in a very, very healthy market um, as far as a seller's market goes. So um, the market will bear. So if you're not getting any showings and you're not getting any activity, you're priced too high. You know what I mean? If you price your home accordingly or low, you won't even be having the conversation because you'll have multiple contracts and your home will be sold. Exactly. So we hope that you've enjoyed the information today. Is there anything else you'd like to add? No, just uh, like Kate said at the beginning, like, follow all our platforms. If you have any uh, feedback, constructive criticism, jokes, anything like that, just throw them our way. We'd love to hear from you. He'll take the jokes. I'll take them. All right, guys. Thank you. See ya.